Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Wife Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports and embraces the women behind the military men by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. This episode of Military Wife Life is proudly brought to you by Defence Bank. Serving those who protect us, Defence Bank have the largest on-base branch network with 37 locations around Australia. They have Army, Air Force and Navy covered. To find your closest branch, visit defencebank.com.au. Well, welcome, Courtney, to the Military Wife Life podcast. Thanks for coming on. So how did you and Jay meet? Like, tell us how you guys got together, how long you've been together. Tinder match. So I had just moved to Sydney, I'd say about four or five months earlier and was living with my mum. And we didn't personally meet, but we had actually sort of semi-met three times before I put two and two together that it was all the same person. We actually um, met in a nightclub in Tasmania about, what four years ago I think he came up to me and tried to buy me a drink or something and I just had no interest I was like leave me alone (laughs) thanks because he was studying uni down there before he joined the navy so that was like five six seven years ago now maybe Mm. and then we um, matched on tinder when I first came to Sydney then I deleted it for a little bit went back on again and matched with him again and he realized it was the same person but I had no the universe is very persistent (laughs) he asked all the same questions and then we met up and then when we met we talked for about three months to begin with and then we met and um, he was like oh you do realize we've met like three times I already know all of this stuff about you that you're telling me now and I was like oh my goodness I'm so sorry (laughs) I'm so sorry I don't remember you but yeah (laughs) thanks for sticking around no so we've been together three years next month obviously when you met he was already in the navy did that have any bearing on whether you'd go ahead with a relationship I've kind of had some experience with the military my a lot of family have been serving so I had some understanding of what was going on I wasn't going in completely blindsided but when we started dating we were only dating for two weeks before he got posted to Darwin for six months and we both kind of sat down and just went like we can either just sit there and go this isn't going to work and just leave it there and that be the end of it or we can just give it a go like we've got nothing to lose we'll just see where this goes and I ended up flying up So he posted out to Darwin around the 9th of December and I ended up flying up for Christmas and having Christmas up there with him in Darwin, which ended up being a um, Navy Christmas inside coffee club because no one had any family there at the time, but that was quite entertaining. And then um, six months later, he came home and we were still going strong and we moved in together not long after that. So it was just kind of a, we'll see where this goes. And um, yeah, all went well. So how did you guys foster the relationship, get to know each other aside from obviously talking? Did you have frequent trips to see each other during the six months how did that work I flew up to Darwin once and then his boat pulled into Cairns at one point and I flew there for about 36 hours and then he flew home for one 
about a couple of days at a time. But the main thing for us, which we realized from the start was how important the communication was and not that it had to be frequent. It didn't have to be, you know, all day or anything like just the quality and the level of communication that you had with each other. Cause we would like the first sort of month, nothing was really wrong, but just we never felt like we were on the same page and we sat down and just spoke through everything and then just realized from then on like if this is going to work because clearly with his job this isn't going to go away anytime soon he's always going to be away he's always going to be doing trips this is the new norm and just we needed to communicate and we needed to communicate well and thankfully because he was on a patrol boat he was he was in and out quite frequently and infrequently but um when he was in we would facetime and just watch a movie or something together just so that we we didn't necessarily need to talk to each other but we were felt like we were doing something or he would order me a pizza and that would be our date night and so he would get some food he would order me some food that would be our date night and then um whenever he was away at sea uh, he would email me maybe every couple of days kind of thing and we just communication was really good I felt when we were emailing but you kind of need to set yourself some boundaries because when you call someone you can you can really say whatever you want and however you want to do it and everything just kind of just comes out you don't you don't feel the need to limit yourself but when you're on an email I think it's it's hard to remember what they're doing or where they are and things like that and he's running on next to none sleep because he's a watch keeper and then he's also trying to find time to email me and do the rest all the rest of his job so I just had to take that into consideration whenever I did receive an email from him that for him to send that was a huge deal and the amount of time that it had taken him to load that because the internet on patrol boats is not very good and just just say the essentials but yeah mainly it was just learning to communicate efficiently and effectively with each other really. So what job does Jay do in the Navy and is that going to take him away a fair bit? Yeah so Jay's a maritime warfare officer so at the moment he's a watchkeeper. so when they go to sea essentially his job is only at sea. He does depending on the watch bill he could do four hours watch keeping so sitting on the bridge watching while the ship's driving and then maybe about six or eight hours off but that off is not sleeping or doing whatever they want to do that's still doing all the rest of his administration his do paperwork anything like that and then he'll go back on the bridge for four hours and then he'll go off for another hour eight hours and then he'll in between all of that have dinner have lunch have breakfast try and get some sleep somewhere so long term it's um his next position is going to be a piwo and all of the succession after that is all positions that are like sea-based positions within the Navy. So he's not going ashore anytime soon. So the only sort of time home he would be would just be whenever the ship's alongside. So yeah, we're just at the moment preparing ourselves and just keeping in mind what's going to be going on with the ships because his job is not a not something that can be brought ashore really it's just a sea job is that an overwhelming thought for you to think that it's definitely he's going to be away a lot and that's not going to change yeah I think when I actually sit down and and think about it it does seem like a lot because we've got some friends who are in different positions and they've said they're like oh I'm doing my two years at sea and then after that I'll never really go to sea again and it's such a 
like a huge contrast between that and Jay's job. But at the end of the day, it's kind of all I've known with like his position. So to be honest, I'm just kind of dealing with it. Like I'm just going, this is what it is and this is how it is. And we're just going to find a way to deal with it. It's obviously not the best case scenario considering we've just gotten married. You know, we'd love to travel. We'd love to have a honeymoon, have kids one day. But we do have to keep in mind that the next 10 years, the amount of time that he will be ashore slash alongside is going to be very, very limited. Have you guys had the conversation about what happens if it isn't working or if, you know, you're feeling like it's too overwhelming? Have you set boundaries as in if it gets to this point, we'll have couples counselling or whatever the case may be? Have you discussed how you might tackle that if it was to come to a point where something needed to change? Yeah, I think we had a pretty in-depth conversation in regards to that sort of thing before we got married. We took up the offer of the pre-marriage counselling through the chaplain at the base here, which we found was invaluable. It really put us on the same page about expectations within each other and expectations with Jay's job and about how we would react in different situations and things like that. So we made sure before we got married that we really wanted to be on the same page about our expectations, yeah, not only for each other, but for the future, for children, for his job and how all of that is going to play in with his job as well because it's one thing to go, oh, yeah, we want to have kids in a couple of years, but how is that going to go with his job, with him being away, with him, you know, not being here? How is he going to feel about that? How am I going to feel about that? So I feel like we're pretty much on the same page about it. It's we're going to make it work no matter what because this is just the reality of it sort of thing. But um, we've made some steps because over the next few years, he's going to be away for a long deployment next year. And then he's going to be on a course for a few months and then going to Darwin for 18 months. And I just said straight up, I was like, as much as I love you, I'm not going to Darwin. So we're actually moving me back to Sydney to be with family. So that's kind of our compromise of not affecting his work but also making sure that we are still a priority because if I'm in Sydney and I stay in Sydney when he goes to Darwin, I've got that support system there with my family, his family, all of our friends. And then when we do get those return reunion travel trips, he can come home and he's not just coming home to say, if I had stayed in Perth to just me in Perth, he's coming home to me, he's coming home to his family, he's coming home to my family and all of our friends. So it was kind of a win-win situation in regards to, yeah, moving me back. But I think it was just not being oblivious to what's going to come and what's going to happen, just making sure you're aware of as much as you can plan with the Navy for the next few years. But yeah. yeah keeping and as, in as mind. much as you can imagine what each yeah. situation is going to be like, obviously once you live through it, it might be totally different to what you expected. It might be harder. It might be easier, but just going into it, I guess, not going into it blind. So not necessarily being set in stone with certain things, but going into things with an open mind and, and yeah, not being oblivious to them. So not throwing your hands up and saying, Oh, it'll all work out. You've actually, yeah, you've got it. You've really got the situations (laughs) through and, and possible ways of coping with it. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we found out that's, that was his next sort of move was to go to Darwin for 18 months to two years. We sat down and we went, through all of the scenarios of what we could do whereas if it was I stayed in Perth and he went to Darwin or I came to Darwin or if somehow we could get me to Sydney what's going to be 
the overall best solution for us as a family, you know, my own mental health and his mental health and our relationship and everything combined because there's so many factors that comes into these sorts of things. And we just sat down and said at the end of the day, long term, this is what's going to be the best option. This is the better, better one, but um, not going in blind and just going, you know, you've got to take some initiative and and research some things and see how things are going to work out. So what is your job and how do you envision your career working alongside Defence Life? Certainly not easy and long term, I'm still a bit stumped as to what I want to do but at the moment I'm a marketing manager for a construction supply company which I'll be leaving and I'm very very blessed and thankful that um my old workplace has mentioned you know to come and see them when I come back so that's definitely an option for me and I'm very grateful that I've got a previous employer that wants me to come back and I'm not stuck in a position where I'm like oh I've just spent two years here and I'm moving somewhere else and people are going to question why I'm moving so often things like that so I'm kind of now wondering what's the best case for me to progress my career and really make something for myself but also how am I going to do that when we're moving all the time and that's something that we've sat down together as well and discussed and said what's going to be something that that could come with us possibly having our own business and yeah coming with us throughout his moves or me working from home or you know all of those sorts of factors so that's currently the discussion that's on the cards of what are we going to do long term in regards to my career and how does that make you feel because I know when I have stuff up in the air like it makes me feel out of control and I like control and you don't get a lot of control in defense life but how is that making you feel? I still remember very, very vividly our first move, which was the Sydney to Perth move. And he was finishing his training and he had about five weeks left or something and weren't really sure what was happening. And I just kind of didn't turn a blind eye, but I was just like, oh, okay, I'm just working my job. We'll find out eventually sort of thing. And um, he called me at work at lunchtime and he goes, oh, I got the Perth one. Do you want to come to Perth with me? And I oh was like- Oh my gosh, when they do that without warning, you're like, what yep and that turned out to be 29 days until we had to move and (laughs) for anyone in a civilian job you have to give 28 days notice so I just said all right we're doing this and went back up sat my boss down I said look I found out half an hour ago this is what's happening I was kind of excited to begin with but my last week of work there I was quite distraught because I had finally found a place that I really enjoyed and I felt valued and I liked my employers and everything was going really great and it was kind of like this move is going to be really fun and we're going to live in a new place but why now and I didn't have a job to go to and it was a new place and we had no friends and family there and I I honestly, I felt terrified for a little bit and I felt a little bit of resentment towards him of kind of like, I had this great job that you're now making me leave and you're going to stability. What am I going to go to kind of thing? But this time around, I think think I'm only doing okay about it. I am going back to family and it's where we feel comfortable and I've got a few offers up in the air. So there's something there. But I think if I didn't have that on offer, I would be in a very, very similar situation as where I was last time. And that was, it was really scary to begin with. So what was your first step when you moved to Perth? Like, 
did you look for jobs beforehand or did you just think, okay, I'll wait until we get there and sort everything out when we get there? Yeah, I tried to, I started applying and started looking around to begin with, but then everyone just kept turning around and going, talk to me in January, talk to me in January. No one wanted to do phone interviews or anything and no one wanted anything to do with you because you couldn't be there. So, and I was like, I don't get how this is in this day and age with the technology we have and you know Skype and all sorts of things people really aren't embracing that sort of thing and then when it came down to January through some mutual contacts I ended up going in and having a meeting with someone and they kind of said oh yeah like all looks good we'll send you an offer and two weeks went by and I just still hadn't received anything and I was about six weeks off work at this point and going absolutely mental and Hey Military Wife Life community, I wanted to take this opportunity to tell you a little bit about the Defence Bank Foundation and the great work they're doing in the defence community. The foundation raises funds to support serving and ex-serving ADF members living with injuries or illnesses such as post-traumatic stress disorder. In 2019, the sole beneficiary of the foundation was the Defence Community Dogs Program, a specialised dog training program which rescues abandoned dogs and trains them through correctional services. 40 service dogs have been trained and given to veterans since the Defence Bank Foundation was established. The program gives dogs, inmates and veterans a second chance at life then finally something came through and they're like yep can you start in a couple weeks and I was like yep perfect done but those six weeks were really really difficult for me because I was sitting at home by myself I had no car because we only had the one car Jay was at work no job as much as you know he was more than happy to support me whilst I wasn't working it didn't feel right and I felt like I wasn't being like I really wasn't being useful and I was just kind of like this person in the house that wasn't like contributing to any anything and it was really stressful that point in time and just the unknown because you don't know in two weeks you're going to get that job offer you don't know in a month's time you're going to find the perfect job like it's just the unknown of is this going to go on for months and months and then will it get to a stage where we're halfway through the posting and I only just get a job just get settled and now we have to move again yeah and it did take a while I don't think I started work until the first week of February by the end of it and it was a lot to take in and then you you found your job which is great but you've you're starting from scratch again it's a whole new company whole new sort of staff you've got your probationary period to begin with and you're like am I even going to keep this job am I going to enjoy it and you're like I've only got two years here but you know what if six months down the track I don't like it and I want to start somewhere else but that's going to look terrible on my resume and you just there's so many things that go into it that just makes it so stressful for people trying to get a job and then also, you know, I need to build up leave so I can go back and visit my friends and family. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a huge issue as well because he'll go away and I'm like, I want to visit my family. But you get over Christmas, you have forced to take your two weeks and it's just you never have any leave because you're trying to see family or you're trying to take a day off where he suddenly got a day off to try and spend time with him because he's been away and it's it's just a huge huge back and forth thing with the whole thing was your employer across the fact that you would be posting out at some point or I sat down with Jay a bit before I went and had my interview and and I just said how am I going to approach this because you either I've heard of some people they just don't say anything at all or some people they fully disclose the whole thing and they were already aware that I had moved because of Jay's work but that was about all they knew and I went in there and I ended up telling them everything and just said he's in the navy this is the go you know I can work like full time that's not a problem I'm not going anywhere but 
the maximum time that we might be here would be maybe four years as in me personally, Jay would go, but the least amount of time we'd get would be two years. And they just said, well, that's two years we didn't have. So, you know, that's better than nothing. And so I'm very, very thankful that they were on board with the whole thing. Getting leave for any events for Jay and things like that is still as per normal with normal employers, you still got to ask your leave. And if it doesn't work with the company, it doesn't work. But um, I was very thankful that they didn't turn around and go, oh yeah, you know what? I don't think you're going to be suitable because, you know, you're going to be gone in two years. It's hard getting your head around it as well, though, because on the one hand, you're grateful that they're understanding, but then on the other hand, you're like, but I'm an asset and I deserve this job or, or this job's perfect for me, or I've worked hard yeah. in, a, in another state or another location in my other job and I built up a reputation there. Like they should be happy to have me, but here I am saying, oh, I'm so grateful. Yeah. It's, it's a really weird place to be in because yeah you're thankful on one hand because you're like oh I'm thankful that you're so you know they're so understanding and helpful in regards to it but then on the other hand you're like where's my value in that like am I an asset to the company all those sorts of things go throughout in your mind you go I shouldn't be having to explain myself as to why I'm here but you know I'm here and it's for a job it's not because of his job When you got to Perth, did you make use of any of the community house or DCO or any of the spouse support services? What did you do to, I guess, build up a friend network? I actually wasn't aware of any of the defence sort of affiliated services or anything like that at all until well after I had gained employment. Really the only sort of support networks that I found was just the Facebook groups, really. I found that was the most sort of personal way to get in contact with people and see what's going on and what other people's lives are like and tips in regards to, you know, living the military life. But I honestly wasn't aware of any. I knew of DCO, but I didn't know of any of the other supports for spouses and things like that until about, I would say, late last year. And the contact that I have had with DCO hasn't been particularly helpful or successful so how important do you think it is for people to have a positive experience with those sorts of services the first time in order for them to feel comfortable or for them to feel supported for future times that they might need to call on someone or seek advice or get support it's huge especially for dco because that's the main one that is pushed by defense like we've gotten a couple of flyers that jay's brought home and things like that and that's their first contact with defense really and it's got to be like i've only had one contact with dco now and to be honest i don't ever want to talk to them again not necessarily they weren't rude or or anything like that but the knowledge that i got from them was particularly unhelpful plays a huge role in not only your opinion and how you want to act towards defense but also your partner and their job and your relationship with them and um it can be so so useful and those initiatives can benefit people and people's relationships so much and be such a benefit to the defense force but um Mm. it takes one small thing and it, it can ruin it for a lot of people unfortunately and you've also you've also mentioned that you've got chronic health conditions which would also mean that you need to I guess make use of the support services or DCO in emergency situations or whatever the case may be especially since Jay is going to be away a lot how is that going to work in the future with your health conditions and can you tell us a little bit about how you manage those? Yeah so I have chronic fatigue, adenomyosis, endometriosis and asthma so they're all relatively well managed at the moment thankfully 
um, because of my specialists. But we have had a few, not a few, a lot actually. When his um his first posting in Darwin, I think I was hospitalised five times for various issues and episodes. But I didn't tell him about any of those because I was in the hospital. I was being cared for. I had had the help and support that I needed there. So he was emailing me and I just said, yeah, it works great today. And then when he pulled in alongside, I, I you know, filled him in on what was going on and everything was okay because I'd been discharged by them. But um, I did almost have to call DCO I was sent in an ambulance to the hospital which eventually turned out to be salmonella poisoning and I was having temperatures of 41 no one could figure out what was wrong with me and they turned around they said we're going to do emergency surgery tomorrow on you and we're also going to remove your appendix Jay was at sea but he was relatively close to the shore here near the island and we always FaceTime whenever he's got reception and I declined it because you know you can't really hide you're in a hospital bed he called again I was like he's going to get suspicious like I can't hide this from him so I ended up having to answer and he obviously found out straight away and I told him what was going on and um, he told his supervisor straight away and they thankfully were pulling into the ammo wharf the next morning and they did everything they could and got him off the ship and I'm so so thankful for the the effort that they made to get him off and he came home for about four days and my mum flew over from Sydney and sort of swapped shifts with him and he went back to sea and mum looked after me but um, I didn't actually have to call DCO then but if he was at sea I probably would have and I always had it in the back of my mind that if I needed to call DCO, I would call them, tell them what's going on. They would contact the ship and things would go from there however they needed to go. And then I ended up having, it wasn't an emergency surgery, but it was booked within 48 hours. So it had to be done that week. And so on the Wednesday, I found out that I had to have surgery two days later. I called DCO on my way home after calling all the, you know, the health fund companies and the hospitals and booked it all in, called DCO and said, you know, hi, this is what's going on. What do I do, essentially? And I still remember this so clearly. She said to me, have you tried contacting him? And I was like, well, well, no, I'm having like a surgery. I don't want to tell him this. And also he's at sea, so I can't contact him because he doesn't have any reception. And she was like, oh, have you tried emailing him? And I was like, well, I don't think it's really appropriate to email him telling I'm having a surgery because he could be about to go and drive the ship for four hours and if he reads that that could put an entire ship of people in danger because he's suddenly become stressed and worried about me and can't contact me so I just hung up real quick and I just said this is not the right information that I should be getting given and called the switchboard who tried to put me through to the ship that didn't work and I ended up calling the officer of the day of HMA Sterling and told him what was going on and he just said I'll contact the ship sit tight I'll call you in half an hour. And um, half an hour later, I got a call from the XO and I explained to him what was going on. And he said, yep, no worries. Give me all the information. I'll see what I can do. And 20 minutes later, he called me back and he said, yep, we've sorted it. We'll drop him off at the wharf. This is where he'll be to collect him. And then he needs to be back on the ship Saturday for duty. So um, thankfully it all worked out in the end, but it was a real eye-opener. So how did you go about looking for a specialist over in Perth when you moved over there? I was quite stressed about that because uh, just before we moved, I had officially been diagnosed and found a really good specialist and became comfortable to then be uprooted not only from family and my job and sort of our comfort zone and to have to find new specialists again and 
you know, that's an expensive thing to go through to begin with, with the initial appointments. And it's not just finding a specialist, it's, it's finding one that works for you and anyone who's been to specialists or has any chronic pain or conditions or anything like that. You, you know that not just any specialist works you need to find one that that works for you and that understands you and gets you and um, was very thankful that I joined a few support groups for my conditions on Facebook and looked through their recommendations and found one and went and saw him and I just knew that he was the one and he's been fantastic and finally gotten my condition under control and managed and it's it's been so helpful so now that we're moving again it's quite confronting to have to go through that process again to get new referrals find someone new and go back and see them and um, start the start the whole process again yeah and I guess as well it'd be something that's weighing on your shoulders in regards to starting a family and Jay being away and especially with endo and timing for pregnancy and whether you're able to get pregnant depending on how severe you have it and I guess it's just an extra added thing that you've got to take into consideration alongside Navy life and posting and Jay being away and all of that side of life yeah so that was another huge thing as well that came into our decision of where am I going to go for the next few years while he's away and goes to Darwin and things like that because we you eventually would like to try for children sooner rather than later but um he's obviously one going to be at sea to whatever boat or ship he's posted to but if I'm not in that posting location it obviously makes it very difficult to try for a family and yeah. um I did discuss with my specialist about you know all of these sorts of factors and what's going to go on and you normally have to try for 12 months before you go and see a specialist and I've been told to I've got three months and then I have to go and see a specialist so on one hand it's kind of good in a way we've only got a short period of time that we have to try for before I can go and get help in a way which means it's nice to know that like he doesn't need to be home for a long period of time before we can get help Mm. but on the other hand it is also a little bit upsetting that you know I don't get that 12 months like everyone else does I've only got three and that's only you know two or three cycles which isn't a lot of time and then after deciding when we want to have children's going to play a huge part in it all because if he's in Darwin you can't just you can't just line cycles up to when the boat wants to come in it's not not how the Navy works so yeah it's another huge thing to kind of wonder where is going to be the best timing to do each you know what's what's the best of the crappy choices we have to make yeah exactly when jay's away what do you sort of do to get through the separation and the loneliness do you uh, are there certain things that you focus more on to keep you busy like what do you do to get through separation obviously working I work full time. That is a huge, huge thing for me. I don't think if I wasn't working or if I I didn't have a sort of a full on hobby or anything like that, I would find it really, really difficult to cope uh, with the lack of things to do. But um, working's one thing. I did join the SES as kind of another filler in my life of something to do and another way to meet other people within the community who aren't necessarily defence. Turns out the unit that I joined because of the area we live in are majority of defence personnel as well. So on one hand, it's quite nice because they understand and they get it. That helps to keep some routine in our lives. So yeah, as much as they may be away or even if they're home, it doesn't feel like there's an enormous change or something's going on because we've got these plans in place that happen every single week to kind of keep some normality and some routine, which which I think is is huge to have your own things to go and do, even yeah. if they're home. As much as I, sure. I sit there 
go, I don't want to go to training tonight because I just want to spend time with you because you're only home for a week. But I know he needs time to himself away from the boat because you, you get this tendency to go, oh, you've had all this time by yourself whilst you've been away. Crammed in with other people on the boat. <laughs> but um, forcing myself to go and have time for myself to do my own things has really benefited for both of us, I think. And mental health wise, how do you look after your mental health? It's quite a difficult one, I think, in this position. Long term, just keeping up the communication with my family back home has been really, really helpful. And when Jay is home, not when he's at sea, I do make it clear to him that if I'm having a hard day, not that anything's his fault or anything like that. And I just go, I'm having an I don't like the Navy day. And he goes, you know what? Okay, let's go get some wine. Let's go get some cheese and let's just sit down and talk about it. And just being honest and talking to people about it and talking to my friends who are also in the same position. If I'm struggling more on the defense side of things, I find it really difficult to talk to family or friends who aren't in the same situation because they kind of just go, why would you even do it anyway? Not that they're trying to Mm. be rude, but it's just, they're just so oblivious. Yeah. And it's not that you want them to fix it. You just want them to listen and let you have the moment and then move on. Yeah. You just want to vent and you just want some understanding. So I find going to my friends who have had some experience really helps a lot more so any words of wisdom for other spouses just starting the journey or um what do you sort of tell yourself when you're having a tough day or when you need to sort of get a bit of perspective probably the main thing is don't take it to heart as much as on one hand it is just their job and then on the other hand it's a lifestyle that you need to live it's their job if something happens that changes the navy's not doing it to hurt you they're not doing it to have a stab at you there's no karma coming for you or anything like that it's just how the navy works so take it in your stride but make the most of the opportunities that you do get given we are very blessed to be able to all of the places that we get to post to and visit and the places that they visit overseas that we go and visit them at. Just really take it all in, take it in your stride and make the most of it because if you can't beat them, join them. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Courtney. I hope you, you eventually get your honeymoon at some point. And- oh, <laughs> one day. I so hope you were able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 